Welcome to the podcast of Local Community Church. Thanks for joining us. We hope this message will encourage and inspire you in your faith journey. If you'd like to find out more, head to our website at localcommunity.church. So as Derek mentioned, today we're doing our last message in our series on the parables. And the parables essentially are stories that Jesus told to try and convey Whilst it had a surface story, there was always a deeper message underneath it of something that had a really strong cultural context to the people he was talking to. And today's parable is one that I'm guessing a lot of us are familiar with, but if you're anything like me, you might have brushed over it in the past because there were things in it that didn't sit that well with you. Um, So to be honest, historically, I really struggled with the master in this parable, and I felt really sad for the third servant. Um, The third servant was quite risk-averse and then got in lots of trouble for that. And I grew up being quite (laughs) risk-averse. And I was kind of like, well, that's not very nice. That's not very fair. So it was really interesting when I ended up on the calendar having this parable because then I had to unpack my struggles with it and and what that meant. So I'm just going to really quickly pray and then we're going to get into it. Oh, dear Lord, I thank you so much for your parables. I thank you for the way that you speak to us um, and the way that you bring out your truths in places where we may not have seen them previously. And so this morning I pray through this parable that you would bring revelation into each of our lives of who you are and what you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so before I read this parable, it's really important, and we've talked about this a bit this year, that we know who Jesus was talking to. Because some of the parables, he was talking to the Pharisees, some he was talking to his disciples, some he was just talking to random groups of people that were sitting on a hill. But this one here, if we go back to the beginning of chapter 24, we find very, very clearly that Jesus was actually sitting at the Mount of Olives and his disciples came to him and asked him direct questions about what was going to happen when he returned, when that was going to happen, all of this stuff about the kingdom and when it was going to happen. So this was a really intimate conversation with his disciples. And I think um, he then goes on in what is chapter 25 for us, bearing in mind here, Jesus didn't talk in chapters. It's not like he'd be talking with people and then he'd go, oh, now we're on to the next parable, or oh, it's going to be chapter 25 now. He just spoke at moments in time about specific things. We've then gone and made chapters and headings, but there's a flow in what he was saying. So it's kind of important to understand what came straight before this, and that was the parable of the ten widows, sorry, ten virgins, Um, and essentially this idea that there was ten virgins waiting for their bridegroom that was Jesus. He was, for all intents and purposes, running a little later than they may have hoped. Five ran out of oil, so when the bridegroom came, their lamps weren't lit, they didn't get asked to the marriage feast, and were never allowed in and never got to know the bridegroom. Pretty tough. But that's literally the parable he has just given when he goes on to start this parable, which is in Matthew 25, 14 to 30, and I'm just going to read through it for us now. The parable of the talents. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them with his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, each according to their ability. Then he went away. 
He who received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents, and he made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came and said, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. So his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And also he who had two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little, so I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. Oh, I struggled with that when I was younger. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers and at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the 10. For to everyone who has will more be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Oh, what a lovely story. You can all read that bedtime tonight to your little ones and watch them like go off in a happy place. So as you can see, there's things in this parable to struggle with, especially at first viewing. These parables don't hold back and they talk about essentially what Jesus is hoping to find when he comes back. Now, we could look at lots of things like what the oil meant for the virgins, and, but I've probably got about 15 minutes. So we're going to skip that and we're going to go straight to the talents. And I think it's really important, and you guys know for me I'm passionate about the cultural context that sits behind these stories. So first of all, let's look at the characters. This is one of those ones where we really can't get into a debate about who the master is. It's Jesus and he's talking about his return, and that there will be a day of judgment. We will give an account for our lives. It's undeniable in here. Now, let me just clarify, this does not negate or undermine grace. It actually demonstrates the purpose of grace, because we need a saviour. But it is also just the reality that Jesus, our saviour, our friend, our bridegroom, the lover of our soul, is also our judge. And he is holy and he is righteous and he is just. And, and like a facet of a diamond, 
that is one thing but has so many different parts of the character that shine through, all of these are who Jesus is. And now I want to look at his servants. We read he had three servants that he entrusted his property to. But the original Greek word that is used in here, and interestingly, 51 times in the New Testament. So it's clearly a word that carries a lot of meaning, and it's good for us to understand, is doulos. Now, some of you might have heard of the doulos hope, a Christian ship, and it literally means servant of hope. Or some of you might have, as Derek mentioned, know Terry and Janice, and Janice trained to be a doula. And a doula is basically somebody who is there to help and serve people in a time of health crisis or health need. It's all about serving. And in the Bible, it often gets interchanged with the word bond servant, servant or slave. Now, in the time of the New Testament, sometimes this referred to people who are doing voluntary service. But that was a very rare exception. So we're going to assume that Jesus would talk into the cultural context, which was actually that if you were a doula, doulos, there's a male and a female version, you were someone else's property. You belonged to them. They were your master and you had to serve them. And it's actually estimated that one third of the Roman population lived as doulos. That's pretty high. So one in three people were living a life of servitude to a master. Now, interesting note, if the master and the doulos were both Hebrews, Jewish people, there was a law written in that after six years you had to offer your servant their freedom. So on that seventh year, they would be free. But what's even more interesting is that in actually the majority of cases, people chose to continue serving their master. Now for us, as we look in this story, we can also look to people, and these are other places doulos was used, when Paul said, I am a servant and an apostle, what he actually said is, I am a doulos and an apostle. When Peter talked about being a servant of Christ, he said, I am a doulos of Christ. James and Jude, half-brothers of Jesus, both called themselves doulos. And one that I love is when Mary is talking to the angel Gabriel and he's just told her, you are going to be carrying Jesus. I won't go into everything that would have gone into this virgin's mind at that time, knowing culturally what that meant, but her answer was literally, behold that we say the maidservant, but behold the doulos of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. I love that. When we think now to what that meant, and we've sung this morning songs like, my life is yours. This is the reality of being a servant. And so the final context I want to give you before I just give us a few thoughts to take home today is this idea of the talents. I've often heard people talk about this story and they'll talk about their talents like it could be the story of Eric Little and he was an amazing runner and he used his talent for Jesus. And yes, 
That is an amazing story, but there is absolutely no doubt in this story the talents that were being talked about were a monetary context. A talent was 3,000 shekels. And it's generally assumed they were talking about gold in this story from most places that you research, which meant one talent in today's terms is one to two million dollars. Mmm, interesting. Hey, you can tell I love doing all this research and I get very excited. What's also interesting about that is for a servant that would have been equivalent to 20 years' salary. Okay, so we go back a step now as we think about this parable and you have the master who is dealing with the people who are essentially his property and are going to spend their life serving him. He's going away. We don't know where he's going, but he's going far enough away that he's entrusting things of value to them. And it says, according to their ability, he gives one $5 million, he gives another $2 million, and he gives another $1 million. And then he comes back to find what they've done with what he has. So, while we think about all of this, and as I was preparing this, there were three key questions that I felt God wanted to pose to us today. Firstly, is Jesus truly your master? You can't serve someone in the context of a doulos and them not be your master. You actually can't. You are not a servant. It's interesting because the concept of a slave or a servant carries such different meaning to so many people and so many cultural contexts. Like, I I totally understand that. And so it can actually be a really challenging concept as a 21st century person, let alone Christian. I mean, we literally grew up in a culture that is about everyone's rights. You know, I don't just want to stand up for my rights, I want to protect my rights and I want to protect their rights. And I mean, we even have animal rights. I mean, there there are rights about so many things. And yet, interestingly, as we sang this morning, what we're saying is I give up the right to my life because it's yours. I'm your servant. I'm your doulos. And even if at six years you offered me freedom, my freedom, my choice is to stay serving you. That's big. And if you think throughout the Bible, Jesus says, you know, you can't have more than one master. You will end up loving one and hating the other. It's why you can't live in the world and be of the world. Because you can't have the world as your master. You can't have the career as your master. You can't have what people think of you as your master. You will end up hating the other. So that's my first question. Is Jesus truly your master? And then secondly, what are you going to do with what he's entrusted to you? You see, the things that we are given by Jesus hold deep, deep value, not just spiritually, but actually tangibly. So how are we using them for his kingdom? 
I mean, the greatest thing he's given you if you're his follower is salvation, eternal life with him. And that is worth more than five talents. That is worth more than a thousand talents. We've also been given physical resources, money, possessions. We've given spiritual gifts and we have been given abilities. It might be singing, writing, running, but it could also be less tangible. It could be that you've been put in a position of influence. And for each of them, what are you doing with them to serve your master? To increase what he's given you, what he's placed in your hands for his kingdom, for his glory. I was thinking about it, you know, is our salvation something we keep for ourselves, knowing we're okay, and we hide it from the world, like the guy with one talent. It's okay, I'm going to heaven, but I don't need to let anyone else know. What will they think of me? Are our assets just there to make our life more and more comfortable? Or are they for us to have a heart for those that are in need that we can help? Now, how do we steward them? Our spiritual gifts, do we use them for his glory and to reveal who he is to other people? And then our abilities, do they create a sense of self-importance and self-worth or do we submit them to God and remain humble as his doulos? In Luke 12, 48, it says, to whom much is given, much will be required. Or, in the words of Spider-Man's Uncle Ben, With great power comes great responsibility. It's true. We are held responsible for what is placed in our hands. And if fundamentally we think it's ours and it's because of us, then we've missed the point. It's all entrusted to us by our master and he will ask what we did with it. The truth is that even the one talent that was given to the third servant was still a huge amount. So I feel like there's another message in there. Don't compare the talents God places in your hand. It says in the parable, according to their ability. God's given us all different abilities, which means he gives us different resources that he entrusts us with. He doesn't say to, and I love this, his response to both first and second servant was identical. Well done, good and faithful servant. Come and enter my joy. I will give you more. It was not a different response to the five or the two. The response was to the faithfulness. So I think what we need to do is trust God with what he gives us and then use it for him, knowing it can be multiplied for his purposes and then he will trust us with more. Okay, so one more question to go. Is Jesus truly our master and what are we doing with what he's given us? And I'm still before 11.30. Okay, so my final question, and this was probably the part of this parable that brought a revelation for me in what I had struggled with the parable for. How do you see your master? You see, all of the servants were entrusted with immense wealth according to their ability, like I said. So he didn't ask more of them than what they could do, but just gave something that was valuable to each for them to care for. And like I said, both the first and second servant made the same comment to their master. 
You gave me five. I took it out, I multiplied it. Here's ten. Oh, you gave me two. I did the same. Here you go, here's four. And, and like I've already said, his answer was, you were faithful over little. Even though it was five million and two million, God's not as wrapped up in the actual amount. You've got to think, this is the God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. This is the God who uses the example of the widow that gave her last coin. It's not the value of it, it's the heart behind what we do with things. So now let's go to the third servant, the one I used to feel sorry for. Because he didn't squander the talent, he just hid it and gave it back. That's not that bad, is it? This is what he said to the master. Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, have what is yours. But the master said, you wicked and slothful servant. Now note this next sentence is not a statement, it's a question. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gathered where I scattered no seed? Well, if that's what you thought of me, then you ought to have invested my money at least with the bankers so that at my coming, I would have received what was mine with interest. Interestingly, I had always missed when the master responded that it was a question. He wasn't reinforcing that the way the servant saw him was right. He was saying back to him, that's how you see me? Well, if that's how you see me, surely you would have at least done something. Pretty confronting, but here's the thing. The first two servants were described as faithful. And to be faithful, we have to be filled with faith. And faith involves taking risks, weighing up the risk of making a mistake or even failure. But our willingness to act in faith relates directly to how we see the one we are taking the risk for. If our life is highly motivated by fear towards God, because of how we see him, that disables us in what we will do for him. Because there's not a foundation underneath that that goes, I am loved. Derek and I will often say, we won't have got everything right in this life. We know that. But as long as we can stand before God and say, I did what I thought you wanted me to do. I tried to be faithful with what you placed in my hands. That I'm happy to face the account for where I got that wrong. If my heart's in the right place with God. And that for me is what comes through in this parable. This third servant only saw the judgment side of God. He only chose to know God in the minutest. And you meet people like this. How can you follow a God who did this, this, this and this? And it's like, you don't know the Jesus I follow. Yes, he is righteous, he is holy, he is just, and he will judge. And that should create a reverent fear in us, a holy fear in us that goes, I am in awe of who you are 
And in the midst of that, you choose to love me and trust me with what's valuable for you. But underneath all of that, I know my relationship is based in your love for me. And out of that, I act in faith as I step into the unknown for things you call me to do. First time I preached, I was petrified, absolutely petrified. It was a risk. I was like, okay, God, you're calling me to do this? Cool. Ten years later, I love preaching. I could tell you so many things, and Derek would have a list as long as that the first time I do, I am petrified. But I have to always step back to who I am, and that's I'm loved by God. What's the worst that can happen if this fails? And that's what my faith for life is based in and how I use what is placed in my hands. So my final question that I want us to consider as I finish today is how do you see your master? Do you know him as your loving, embracing, gracious father, but with whom one day you will give account for your life. So you live a faith-filled life that multiplies what he's trusted you with. Or is he just a master that you are fearful of and so you are hiding what he's placed in your hands? Because my heart is, as he said to the first and second servant, that for each of us, he will say, come and enter my joy, good and faithful servant. Thanks for listening. We hope this message has encouraged and inspired you in your faith journey. If you'd like to find out more, head to our website at localcommunity.church.